Nick at Night is a production of Council Communications. That is the best intro in radio. I'm sorry, I just love that piece of music. If you don't recognize it, of course, that's Disney's themed Pirates of the Caribbean. I just love it. I think it's such an uplifting and powerful piece. you got to love the kettle drums. And it's a great way to kick off the show because we have one just... Some of the stuff, you know... <laughs> some of the stuff that comes up, we have from the tragic to the tragically embarrassingly stupid on the show for you tonight. It's just, well, first of all, whatever you want to talk about is fine with me. And let me give you the numbers, the means and methods of communication. You can reach me at 343-700-4390. And if that doesn't work, for those of you here in the Ottawa Valley area or in Ontario, wherever the heck that reaches to, you can always try 844-562-4766. You can send me an email at Nick at Night. And no, no, no. Yes, Nick at Night at Late Night Council. Yes, that's right. Nick at Night at Late Night Council. I thought it was falling into old habits. That's what I thought I was doing. Okay, anyway, Nick at Night at LateNightCouncil.com. You can send me a note via Facebook. i got to close down Spotify here. And I'll keep an eye on that. So if anybody has any comments. In other words, if you can think of a way to communicate, then you are most, of course, you are most, how do I put this? Use it. <laughs> That's what technology's for. Uh, my goal here is, I, when I started in, in radio, oh my God, 15 years ago now, it seems like it was yesterday in one hand, and it seems like it was nothing. Let me tell you a little bit of personal history before I dive in. When I started in radio, I had spent 10 years training for it without ever realizing it. I used to drive truck, for many of you, you already know this, but uh, I used to drive truck all over North America. I mean, I've been in every state in the Union, in the lower 48, with the exception of Oregon and, and, um, Oregon and Washington State. I've been in Alberta. I've been all over Ontario. I have been um, not too much in Canada. I've, I've driven to the places like Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, PEI. And I, and I've never been to PEI. Uh, um, Newfoundland. But those were either personal trips or trips to Quebec, Quebec of course, uh, or trips to um, uh, when I, during my Navy days. Um, but anyway, so I've seen a good chunk of the continent and a tremendous amount of the United States. And you know something, when you get past all the rhetoric and all that kind of nonsense, excuse me, the Americans are very much like we are. They have the same kinds of concerns. They come at it from a little bit different angle. But you know something, people are people no matter where you go. 
They all have wants and desires and hopes and dreams, just like you and I do. There's not this huge divide between us. We're far more alike than we are. We are uh, different. Um, anyway, the point is that as I was driving through the United States, this is back in the 90s when, when uh, swinging Bill Clinton was the uh, um, president and his wife uh, was at the time relatively unknown, although I'll never forget the interview when Bill Clinton said, hey, you like me, you get her, we're a package deal. <laughs> yeah. And boy, did we ever come close to making a did they ever come close to making a disastrous choice? But anyway, I would listen to talk radio all over North America, all over the place, especially Rush Limbaugh. Now, some people love him, some people hate him, but he is the he's the undisputed king of talk radio. He is the last time I checked, and these numbers may be different now, one way or the other. But the last time I checked a couple of years ago, he had two or sorry, six hundred and fifty radio stations in his network. Okay. Stations who broadcast his show, 650 of them. He reached 20 million people a week. Those numbers are unheard of. And while I was driving around listening to him, I learned a tremendous amount, of not only about the politics of the day, but about things about how to run a radio show. You know, when to use humor, when to use music, when to use uh, um, uh, absurdity to demonstrate the absurd. I didn't even realize it, but you just, it was like osmosis. And one of my bucket list uh, items is to one day meet Rush Limbaugh. I would love to meet the man. Now, I know he's, you know, he's, a lot of people will say he's infotainment. Maybe. But he is by far the best at what he does. There's nobody out there can compare to him. So I would love to meet him. He's one of my talk show heroes. Now, um, so when I started my show, I, I first started a, sh a radio show to get into radio. We have a little, in Killaloo, we have a little radio community, uh, radio station, uh, affectionately known as Weed FM. Uh, <laughs> never, <laughs> someday, uh, if I have to explain that to you, then, and, then just think about it. It'll come to you. Anyway, the point is, I walked in there because they had an add-on. This is about 2000. And I just finished driving over the road. I'd spent 10 years driving over the road, and I was 240 pounds. I was just, you know, obesely uh, overweight. Um, I was a heart attack looking for a place to happen. I was bored. More importantly, I was bored out of my mind. Now, I'm not knocking truck drivers. I love those guys. They do a great job. They work really hard, and they, they're some of the, I would rather drive amongst a fleet of 40 trucks than I would surrounded by 10 cars any day of the week. Any day. I would I'd rather drive with them any day. Because those guys, they do it for a living. They know exactly what they're doing. And by and large, they're the best drivers on the road. Now, with that said, I, I, I just finished that. I was bored out of my mind. Because truck driving is a simple, it, it's, it's not an easy job, but it's a relatively simple one. Once you figure out the internet, here's what you need to know to be a truck driver if you ever want to go into that field. You need to know how to read a map. You need to know how to take directions, which is as much an art, if not more so, than giving them. And the, re that re the reason that is, is because when you call somebody up, I'll tell you a quick story. I called a hardwood flooring place in Tennessee one time, and I got the receptionist. And I said, ma'am, I'm, I'm driving for ABC Company. I forget what company I was driving for at the time. And I'm there to pick up a load of hardwood. And she said, well, sugar... You just come on down here out far, get off the highway there at uh, exit 162, and you shoot on down there about four mile, 
you see that great big oak in the middle of that in, in, in that tree in the field on the right with a bull under it, don't turn there. You go another two miles, and then you turn to the left. Now, when you turn to the left, you're going to pass under a train trestle, and we were first place on the left. And I said, train trestle? Can I speak to shipping and receiving, please? <laughs> so I got a hold of shipping and receiving, and they laughed. And, she's, and the guy I was talking to said, she puts a truck a year under that bridge and sticks it there. Because the, the train trestle is only 12 foot high. You're 13 feet six. So you're going to take the top foot and a half off your trailer if you're not a flat deck. So <laughs> he said, just go out down one more exit, turn right, come on down the third row, come on down the paved road, turn right on the first row you come to, and we're there on the left. Okay, great. So in other words... I had to listen to what she was saying in order to be able to decipher what she was trying to tell me. Because if I had followed her directions, I'd have been her truck that year. Because, you know, anyway, I, I digress. So anyway, I went to um, this little station in Killaloo. And I walked in and I said, I want to start my own uh, Catholic, conservative, Orthodox radio show. That's what I said verbatim. And they looked at me like a tree full of owls. And I think one chin dropped and bounced off the table because they were looking for broadcast material. They only had about 20 hours worth of live broadcasting out of 160 hours a week. So all they could do was kind of stammer, stutter, and say, well, yeah, okay. And I started a show there called Think Tank that lasted two years. I was there two years. And believe me, when I listened to those early shows, I was awful. Absolutely horrible. It's, I just shudder when I listen to it. But everybody's got to start somewhere. And for two years, I put what I'd learned to practice. And at the end of two years, I took a tape, and I went in to see Dave Mitchell, who was the program director at CFRA at the time. And I said, just listen to this, because by then I'd gotten as good as I was going to get there. That show was the most popular show on that radio station, and that was no big deal about me. It's just that... I was the only real live content they had that was engaging anybody. So it wasn't about how good I was. That's more a reflection about how, well, I don't want to say bad the radio station was. But anyway, that, that is what it is. So I said, I just want to critique because someday I'd like to do this full time. And he, he, he said, okay. And the rest, as they say, is history. I was there for 13 years and certainly learned a ton in the meantime. So I'm not even sure why I started telling you that. But I just, in, or, in other words, I know I, I would like to think that by now I know how to communicate with people. So if you want to get in on anything I'm going to go over tonight, by all means, do that. You can use the numbers I've given. I'll give them one more time, 343-700-4390-844-562-4766 is the long-distance number. You can also send me a note to nick at latenightcouncil.com. And I also want to uh, <coughs> let you know that if you're a member of my Facebook uh, group, more affectionately known as Nick's Nights, and if you want to become a member of Nick's Nights, by all means, send me a friendship request. I'll approve it, and we'll uh, certainly uh, vest you with all the rights, privileges, and perks that come with that station, which aren't that many. But shh, don't tell anybody. Anyway, um, now I'm going to ask some advice because this drives me crazy. I don't know what it is, but I seem to, I'll get four or five friendship requests a day. Of the four or five, at least three or four come from 24-year-old drop-dead blondes, brunettes, and redheads who think I'm the light of their love life. Now, they don't know me from a hole in the wall. I don't know them. 
and I just delete them right off the top of my head. But I would love to figure out how to stop getting them. And if you know what, I'm sure that if you've been on Facebook anytime, you've gotten unsolicited friendship requests from people who may or may not have your best interest at heart. They want you to go and check out their pictures at this website, that's website. I'm sorry, I'm not playing that game. I just have no time for it, no patience for it. So if you've got any ideas about how to, how to block that or how to, because I don't know how. I'm not exactly what you call technically savvy. And to tell you the truth, I'm getting sick of that. But if you're, you know, if, if, at the same time, if you legitimately want to become part of Nick's Nights, by all means, I can certainly do that too. All right. Let me start here. <clears throat> we have, oh, God, there's so many places to start. Let's start with sanctuary cities. Uh, as you all know, Montreal has just become the latest sanctuary city. And it's this fad spreading across the Western world. And I think what it does, it tells us how far down the socialist road we've gone and how dangerous this is. Because, well, okay, this article is from the Globe and Mail, and I'm going to read you what the mayor has to say. Now, this is, I believe it's Denny Coderre, uh, former cab federal uh, immigration minister under, who would that have been under? Uh, the f previous liberal government before Stephen Harper took over, I do believe. That would have been, um, I can't remember now. Doesn't matter. Anyway, here's what he says. There are times when a city as you have there are times when as a city you have to set the tone, assess what happens elsewhere and act accordingly. The experience in Toronto and Vancouver show that working out protocol on how police deal with non-status migrants is tricky because officers are required to contact the Canada Border Service Agency if they become aware of someone's illegal status. Now, hold it. What we have here is a mayor who is defying the law. Let me read. The actual quote is not nearly as long. I, I float into the paragraph. Here's the quote again by Mr. Cordaire. There are times when, as a city, you have to set the tone, assess what happens elsewhere, and act accordingly. That's his quote. Mr. Cordaire, you used to be the Minister of Immigration. You're not anymore. Now you're the mayor of a Canadian city who is bound by the legal by the Criminal Code of Canada to enforce the law. You don't get to pick and choose which ones you like and which ones you don't. This sanctuary city stuff is, nothing, is a reaction to Donald Trump. And now some, of the, some of them have been around longer than that. But it's also been, uh, a lot of it is in support of Mr. Obama, who didn't have any problem with millions of peoples. And you notice, as was talked about today in different forms of media, the word undocument, undocumented migrants or, um, how do they put it here? Uh, Non-status migrants, that's it, is code for illegal aliens or illegal immigrants. Illegal means they've broken the law. Now, when you or I break the law, we have some kind of idea of what the consequences of whatever law we've broken is going to be. If you're speeding, you'll get a ticket. If you... Uh, you know, if you hit someone, you could be arrested for assault. If you rob a store, you could be charged with with, um, with robbery. If you use a weapon, well, of course, everything, you know what I mean. We, we have some idea of what could happen to us. You're not allowed to wave your hand like a wand and say, we're not going to obey the Criminal Code of Canada. We're not going to help. The, we're not going to assist in any way the government that the people elected to enforce those laws. We are going to become the law of the land. We are going to tell the federales that 
We are going to shelter people, and then we are going to expect them to pay for us. Pay for it. Guess who the them is? That's right, you and me. Now, look, I am not someone who is cold-hearted. I am not someone who doesn't want to help people. That's not what this is about. Because what these illegals are doing is slapping, is spitting in the face of everybody who's standing in the legal immigration line, who are standing in the legal, in the refugee line, people who actually have a legitimate claim to refugee status, people who actually want to come here and make the country a better place and make it their home and add to the fabric that is Canada, not erode it. You see, what I think is going on here, and the more I think about it, and maybe I'm wrong, I, I could be completely wrong, but I don't think so. That this is a, an intentional um, move on, uh, on a grand scale to bring people. And I, think, I don't think Mr. Gordaire thinks this. Okay? I think he's just a socialist who doesn't like Trump and is flipping him the bird. I think that's the case when you're at the city level. I don't think it's some grand master scheme. But I do believe there are forces at work that are trying to flood Western culture to the point of eroding it to the point where it has no value anymore, where there's, there's nothing left of it. Because what is Western culture? Well, it's freedom. It's democracy. It's the right to succeed or fail as you see fit. All those things that our soldiers died for and are fighting for today. That's what Western culture is. But there's millions of people out there opposed to that. And they're doing everything. And I'm not talking about just Muslim or, or people. I'm not talking about just one particular group. I'm not talking about just Muslims. There's communists out there who don't like that. There are actually Nazis out there, real Nazis. Not the, not the, the, not the kind that you know, everybody labels, oh, you're a neocon Nazi, when they're talking to somebody like me. Because they don't understand that all I care about is my country. You know, I care about how well it's run. I'm worried about its continued existence. That doesn't make anybody a Nazi. That makes some them patriotic. That makes them, you know, a concerned citizen. But that label gets tossed around a lot. But I'm saying there are real, bona fide, Hitler-saluting Nazis out there who want to destroy everything that we hold dear. They're communists, the Marxists, the Trotskyites, and the Leninists. They don't like anything that we stand for. It's not just the Muslims. Okay, it's not just Islam. There's all kinds of forces at work here. And they've been after us ever since we won World War II. Because the Cold War came along after that. Why did the Cold War come along? Because we couldn't agree on what was the best course for the world overall. See, we believe in freedom for the individual. Not enslavement of the masses. That's not what they believe. They believe in some kind of workers' utopia. They believe in some kind of caliphate. They believe in all kinds of things that take away the very things that you and I hold dearest. And that's what's behind all this. Now, that's on the grand scheme. When you, get, when you break it down to the city of Ottawa, I'm not saying Jim Watson is running around trying to undermine society. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the mayors of these cities are socialists and they don't like what Trump is doing. They liked Obama because he was forwarding their agenda. They want this uh, this uh, in their own little way look at as an example look at this idea today in the news out of the ottawa ottawa citizen i have it right here uh they they decided uh there's a group within the city of ottawa 
um, the planning, uh, it's called the Ottawa 2017 Party Planners, decided they were going to give away uh, 150 free tanks of gas in Montreal to promote them the idea of coming to Ottawa for Canada's 150th anniversary. And a couple of, of city councillors were aghast. They were horrified. They were beyond words that somebody would have the audacity to give away gasoline because we got to stop using that nasty fossil. They didn't say it exactly like this, but we got to stop using that nasty fossil fuel. We're kind of trying to cut down on our greenhouse gas emissions here within our city. Excuse me, Mr. Councillor. Um, uh, how's Carling Avenue coming? Have you got it repaved yet? And what, what about the transit way? And what about LRT cost overruns? And, and, and what about uh, um, 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 picking up the garbage once a week instead of once of every other week? Uh, you know, the things you're supposed to do. What about the potholes in the road that are ripping the front ends out of people's cars? Don't you think you should worry about that instead of whether or not we should be driving them? What these people don't realize, they just, that's not their job. I wish someone would grab them by the lapels, lift them up onto their toes, look them in the eye with fire, and say, do your job, but just your job. Stick to what you got elected for. And that is not telling me whether or not I should drive a car. Because I'm going to drive a car anyway. As a matter of fact, I'm going to drive it twice as often now just because you think I shouldn't. Just because that's the kind of person I am. You got no business telling anybody else how to get around. If we all stopped driving cars, you'd run out of money so fast that it'd make your head swim. Not that that would matter to these guys. Because they'd spend money anyway. They do it now. And yet all the taxes that, that cars generate, all the taxes that the, sa- that the sales of cars generate, the gas, all that stuff. If you're riding a bus, how much gas tax do you pay? Riding a bike, how many new tires do you put on your on your bike? How much taxes is generated in the purchase of the bike compared to the purchase of a car? It's not even it's not even scalable. It's not even close. And yet these bozos think that it's okay to go running around telling people you got to stop driving cars. You're killing the planet, which is a load of hooey anyway. We couldn't kill the planet if we wanted to. We could take us out, but we can't kill the planet. It's just more of this nonsense. And, it, you know, it's, it's, enough, it's enough to make you just weep. So, anyway, I just thought I'd start the show with getting some stuff off my chest. I've got some other stuff lined up, and I also have to take a break. You listen to this, and we'll be right back. <laughs> For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays, 
and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile. How long have I been doing this? And I'm just getting the hang of the fader button now. Go figure. <laughs> All right. Now, shifting to world politics for a moment. You know, it always surprises me when people get surprised by human nature. Actually, here's the story I'm talking about. Okay. An Iraqi suicide bomber was ex-Guantanamo Bay detainee. Now, this guy is English, and his name is Jamal al-Harith, otherwise known as Ra Ra sorry, Ronald Fiddler. And he uh, was held, he was first arrested as a terrorist in 2000. He was uh, detained in Guantanamo for a while. The British government um, got him released and then paid him, I believe it was about uh, $1.6 million dollars. Um, he got him a job as a web designer. Uh, all kinds of things went, excuse me, uh, went to making his life better because of the hell that he went through. First of all, uh, I was listening to an interview uh, with uh, the British, uh, a British uh, lord, I can't remember his name now, but was the guy who was uh, kind of watching this from afar and said, I'm not surprised at this at all. And to finish the story, he ended up going to Iraq and killing a bunch of British soldiers um, in a suicide bombing. He drove a, pack, a car packed full of C4 up to, a, up to a military base and blew himself and a bunch of other people up. Now, what it boils down to is you have a terrorist who is a terrorist, who gets busted for terrorism, gets detained at Guantanamo Bay, the British get all upset because it, it, it goes against their idea of rule of law. They bring him home, pay him all kinds of money. He lies to them because he swears up and down, I was never involved in terrorism. I was tortured in Guantanamo. It's just one song after another. And you know something? This They found the, the instruction manual a few years ago for guys like this. And it tells them to do exactly this. Deny, 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 deny. Claim you were tortured, whether they laid a glove on you or not. Okay, that's just standard operating procedure for these guys. And the British bought it. And they said, okay, okay, we feel sorry for you. Here's a couple of million bucks. Here's a job. Here's a life. Go enjoy yourself. Well, he sure did. He packed the car full of explosives and blew himself to kingdom come and killed a bunch of people doing it. So what we have is a terrorist who came out and said, I'm not a terrorist. Lied to us. Waited for a while. Over 10 years he waited. Until the British authorities said, oh, I guess he's not a threat anymore. Then went to Iraq and killed himself and a bunch of other people in the process. You know, one of these days we got to get it through our head that people like this, they don't think in days or weeks or months. They think in decades. They think in centuries. There's an old saying out of Afghanistan. You get to watch. We get the time. It's just... 
we we're always taken by surprise when these when these sort of things occur. And yet, we'll do it over and over and over again. And this part just makes me crazy. Anyway, here's let me give you an idea of the timeline here. Uh, let's see. Uh, the issue was the legal disclosure rules. If someone brings a civil action for damages, they're entitled to disclose material, some of which may be national security uh, related. Telling a tale of woe, Al-Harith was one of 16 men paid $13.4 million in compensation in 2010 after the British government settled a lawsuit claiming its spies were complicit in the torture of prisoners at Gitmo. The UK Sun reported that he, that he called his family after being captured by the Taliban, claiming he desperately wanted to come home. Instead, he was captured by the Americans and sent to Gitmo. After heavy, heavy lobbying, he was released in March 2004 and received his payout in 2010. His brother, Leon Jameson, said he saw the picture of the suicide bomber embarking on his, on his mission and knew it was his brother. It's him, I can tell by his smile, Jameson told the Times. If it's true, then I've lost a brother, also another family member, so another family member's gone. You know what? If I had a brother that was a suicide bomber, I don't know that I'd consider him part of the family anymore. That might have severed all the ties. The country's Labor, Labor Party and former Prime Minister Tony Blair, Labor Party leader and former to Prime Minister Tony Blair, has been blistered by the Tories and the Liberal Democrats over their handling of the affair. Labor swore none of those released from prison on the tip of Cuba posed any threat. Until today, of course. The country's Labor Party and former... Oh, we, yeah, we read that. Fiddler's part of a considerable cadre of people released from Guantanamo Bay who have returned to, to straight, returned straight to the ranks, said security expert Kyle Orton. Uh, <clears throat> he said, this keeps happening, so the drive to shut the camp has always been a very, very serious threat. <sighs> Someday we're going to take this stuff seriously. Someday we're going to believe these people when they say they're going to keep fighting us until they're dead. Someday we're going to pay attention. I don't know when that's going to be, but it's going to be someday. All right, now, moving on to another topic here. We have a liberal light, progressive conservative leader, Patrick Brown, and I say that on purpose. There, I don't see any sub substantive difference between... Patrick Brown and Kathleen Wynne. I really don't. So it doesn't matter in the next election who wins. The NDP, the Liberals, or the Tories, if Brown stays leader, because there won't be any real choice. You're going to get the same basic policy. And here's more evidence of that. Ontario's progressive conservative leader, this is out of the sun today. Ontario's progressive conservative leader will support an anti-Islamophobia motion from a Liberal member and is encouraging his caucus to do the same. Patrick Brown supports... Uh, support means the Ontario motion is unlikely to garner the kind of political debate seen over similar motion in the House of Commons. And I can tell you why he's doing this. It's not that he thinks this is such a great motion. He thinks he's avoiding a trap because if he comes out and says, no, this is a slippery slope, this is nothing but appeasement, this is bad, we already have hate crime laws, we don't need any more, we don't need, uh, nobody likes discrimination, nobody likes... You know, the kind of stuff that especially uh, there's been a, a, a real spike in, in uh, anti-Semitism. Anti Nobody likes that. Nobody likes that stuff. And we already have laws in the books. Instead of taking the courageous stand and saying, I'm not going to be a party to this because we don't need any more laws. We simply need to enforce the ones we have. You see, that's what somebody with some principle would do. But no, 
Let's not rock the boat because they might say mean things to us if we don't go along with them. They might say mean things about us and the people might think we're nasty. I got news for you, Mr. Brown. I have a feeling there are a lot of people in this province who would agree with you if you would stand up and say, I will not pander to any one particular group. No religion should have any more favoritism to it than any other. We already have anti-hate crime laws. We already have slander laws, libel laws. We have all of that. We've got human rights tribunals, as disgusting as they are. So what's the point of this? But see, there's this thing called a boat. And if I stand up, it might rock. And somebody might get hurt. Maybe me. And we couldn't have that. Oh, for somebody with some spine. My kingdom for a real leader. It would be wonderful if he would just expose this for what it is. It's another unnecessary layer of laws that they can charge us under, especially in this case. Like, what happens? If you look at, I've got a piece uh, out of Sweden, I believe. If I, I think it's here in my, uh, oh, no, in Finland. Here it is in Finland. Let me share some of this with you. Um, this comes from uh, the website uh, Vlad Tepes blog. Uh, probably one of the best blogs on the topic I know of. And in essence, what happened, because uh, there's a video clip, but it's all in fin Finnish. It's, it's uh, translated on the screen, um, but I, I'm not going to read it to you because it wouldn't, it wouldn't work. Anyway, uh, let's see. According to our source close to the family, oh, well, let's back up a little bit here so I get to the top of the story. Um, let's see, there we go. This is the story of the new totalitarian fascism sweeping Europe today and may well be a prelude prelude to a life in the West, including Canada, if Motion 103, that's the federal version uh, of this anti-Islam thing we're talking about on the, on the um, uh, provincial side, uh, if that turns into Bill 103 and passes into law. The first video shows a Sovlakian model, all of 24 years old, who made a video for Facebook which, while lacking in good taste, was definitely not illegal in Western democracies and certainly did not deserve the treatment which followed. Now, what she did was she, she took a Koran, she ripped it up, she set it on fire, she, she disgraced the thing. Okay, well, in Western democracies, that kind of stuff happens all the time. Do you know what they've done to Christian icons and, and the Bible and to the Jewish Torah and Jewish grave sites and things like that? People do this kind of stuff all the time. And for those of us... Uh, who are in one of those groups, I myself, you know, being a Christian, when I see somebody attack the Catholic Church or when I see somebody deface, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, some kind of religious symbol belonging to the Jews or something like that, I don't demand their head on a pike. I just feel sorry for them. I feel sad that they would think that this is somehow some way to engage in debate. But that's not what happened in Finland. Because of what this model did, they lured her back to Finland. And then when she got off the plane, they arrested her. You should see the video. She's surrounded by six or seven big, but she's a tiny little slip of a thing. If she weighs 110 pounds, that's all. She's about five foot two, five foot three. She's this tiny little girl. And these big bruisers with, uh, you know, with weapons and all that stuff and body armor, they slap her in irons like she's some kind of murderer. And then she goes to jail. She goes to the judge. The judge says, oh, because we think you might do it again, you're going to stay behind bars. They can hold her for six years. That's the penalty. This is what happens when you let 
this kind of appeasement mentality rule the day? Instead of saying, whoa, 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 whoa. How come this stuff deserves a six-year sentence for ripping up a holy book and burning it and doing other disgusting things to it? But when we have Christ in piss in a jar, that's considered art. And nobody goes to jail for that. Isn't one just as disrespectful and disgusting as the other? Look, I don't think that you should be tearing up books and burning them just because you don't like them. But if you, I don't think you should go to jail for six years for it either. But this is the way this works. Where These people, that are, are, are uh, legal people, our judicial system is so afraid of this group that they will do anything, anything for the sake of appeasement. And this is just another example. So if you want to go and see that video, you can go to my webpage. I have it on Facebook. Or you can go to Vlad Tepes blog, and you'll see it, vladtepesblog.com, and you'll see it. It's, I think, the first video up. Let me go back a step. Uh, yeah, it, there it is, uh, Vlad Tepes. And I believe, yeah, it's, it's the first story where you come to when you go to that blog. So go and check that out. Because you, you're not going to believe it. And there's a bunch of other stuff on there I didn't get in. I don't have time to get into. That's just as terrifying in some cases even more. Um, so I just thought I'd share that with you. Now, uh, let's see. Donald Trump. You know something? <laughs> okay. I, I'm, I'm going all over the place tonight. But there's just so much to talk about. You only get one day a week to talk about it. So you got to cram in as much as you can, right? All right. Now this... Never should have happened in the first place. And he's decided to waive, to, to cancel the rules around it. There was, remember last, last year, one of the hot topics of the day was this whole excuse me, transgenderism kind of stuff. Look, I don't believe in transgenderism. I believe there's a lot of very confused people who need um, some psycho, psychological help. Um, if you're born male, but you think you're female even though your body is built like a male, then fixing the plumbing isn't solving the problem. You need mental. You need the help of a mental professional. So what's that got to do with this story? Well, let me tell you. Here it is. The Trump administration has lifted federal guidelines that say transgender students should be allowed to use public school bathrooms and locker rooms matching their chosen gender identity. Okay, well, first of all, there is no such thing as a chosen gender identity. I know, gasp, horror, that somebody has the courage to say that, but guess what? For somebody who says, I'm a girl, but is on the outside a guy, if they ran a DNA test on him, what would the DNA, t DNA, DNA test say about his gender? Would he have two X chromosomes, meaning he's a girl just because he said so? Or would he have an X and a Y saying he's a guy, even though he said he's a girl? See, that's, that's, that's the whole point. You don't get to choose your gender. There's only two, and you don't get to choose them. That's chosen for you by genetics at the time of your conception. Okay? There's people like me who think God decides what that's going to be, whether you're going to be male or female. And you can't change it. Anyway. The Wednesday decision is a reversal of an Obama-era directive issued in May. It will now be up to state and school districts to interpret whether federal sex discrimination law applies to gender identity. 
The letter sent to schools nationwide Wednesday was by the Justice and Education Department and says the earlier directive caused confusion in lawsuits over how it should be applied. It shouldn't be applied at all. So anyway, that's just I just think he's he has done in, in the month that he's been in office. Now, all I think pretty much all the low hanging fruit on Mr. Trump for Mr. Trump has been plucked. He's done all the things um, on that he promised he'd do on the campaign trail, and he is working really hard at uh, trying to solve as many problems as he can because he knows that the media is against him, always has been, always will be, and that common you, you, the people who voted for him are still you know firmly behind him. And the, he got off. He went to Florida to kind of get around the the, the, the press, right? Because he didn't want the press filtering his message. So he goes to Florida, and there's nine or ten thousand people there. And Ivanka walks out to introduce her husband as the president of the United States, and starts off with the Lord's Prayer. Oh no! Oh my good Lord! Do you remember that? Was it last week? Maybe the week before? And you would have thought the sky had actually fallen, and Chicken Little was right. Running around like, oh my God, he, she started with the Lord's Prayer. Heaven forbid. Is there, more, is there a more innocuous prayer than the Lord's Prayer? If you stop and actually say it to yourself in your head, when you get to the offensive part, stop. As a matter of fact, if you want to, you can either call me at 343-700-4390 844-562-4766 and tell me what you find when you get to that offensive spot. What is it about the Lord's Prayer you find offensive? Okay, what is in that prayer that you, that 25 words that you find so offensive no one should be allowed to utter it in the public square? What is it? Or you can send me a, an email to nick at latenightcouncil.com or you can post a message on Facebook and ask me to and explain yourself there. I don't care, whatever way you want to do it, because I want to know what's so offensive about that. Just a thought, folks. Just a thought. Okay, we'll take a quick break, and we'll come back with more right after this.
So Nick is reloading and taking a much-needed break. Not that he needs one. But maybe it's a good thing. So if you want to fire him off an email, just uh, send it to Nick at LateNightCouncil.com. That's simple, huh? Nick at LateNightCouncil.com. Or better yet, call now. Hey, I know he could talk forever, but you know what? If you're doing talk radio, you love the calls. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390 for the Capital Region. And if you can't get through on that line or you live far, far, far away, like we're talking about Alaska, 1-844-562-4766. That's 1-844-562-4766. Now, our call service is automated. You won't be talking to a live person until you're live on air. Don't sweat it. Just follow the prompts and while you're on hold, and, and, and you'll be fine. night does not exist without advertisers so if you want to buy time you contact either myself jc at latenightcouncil.com or you can contact nick if you're more comfortable with him and of course i certainly understand that you can contact nick at latenightcouncil.com the ads are like really really cheap i mean you're gonna you're gonna love them okay you're, you're, we've, we've made them quite accessible Feedback is always welcome. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And thanks for tuning in. Now, back to Nick at Night. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Um, or thanks for staying with us, I should say. The numbers again are 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. You can reach me at uh, late night council, nick at latenightcouncil.com. You can also reach me at Facebook. It just search my name, Nick Vandegrat. Uh, if you want to become a member of Nick's Nights, send me a friendship request, and we will add you to the ever-growing list of members. Now, if you're a member of my Facebook group, then you'll know that every once in a while, there's a guy by the name I, I affectionately call Bob. I really should call him Dr. Bob because he really is very, very good at analyzing things and laying it out in simple terms for all of us to understand it. I'm talking about some sometimes some very complex stuff that would make your eyes glaze, cross over, and you'd be asleep in five minutes if you tried to read it on your own. But he does a very good job of explaining it, and he's done it again. Now... This, have you ever looked at your power bill and said, what exactly is this global adjustment thing? Well, Bob sent me a note today. I posted it on Facebook, and it's called Understanding the Global Adjustment. I will not read it all. Uh, I will just start about halfway down and give you the meat and the potatoes of this um, because it's 
too long to read, and it's very in-depth, and he does a good job. So thanks, Bob. I appreciate that. This is a very good piece of work. He, oh, you know what? Um, the only time I haven't posted something that he sent me it was when it's so technical, I have to sit down and read it three or four times. Um, and that's only been once or twice. He's been doing this now for about, I don't know, maybe a year or two years. It's been a while, but uh, I've certainly enjoyed the work he's done. So here's the latest from Bob. In part, I'm starting here. In 2016, the cost of the global adjustment to all Ontario ratepayers was $12.3 billion. This represented 85% of the cost of the actual electricity delivered, excluding transmission, distribution, taxes, and fees. Parker Gallant offered a breakdown of these costs. Let me just scroll down a little bit here. Industrial wind generators polluted, polluted, yeah, polluted, all right. Industrial wind generators produced 11 terawatt hours of electricity at a cost of 13.5 cents per kilowatt hour. Now, I have no idea how much electricity a terawatt hour is. I just know it's a lot. Okay, so I'm not, <laughs> don't let me sound like I'm trying to fool anybody here. Okay, 13.5 cents per kilowatt hour. Because of surplus generation capacity, an additional 2.2 terawatts of generation were curtailed, i.e. generators were paid not to produce. So in other words, windmills that were standing still were getting paid as if they were actually turning and making power. That's what that all means. The total cost of the wind above the <coughs> rate, above the standard rate was 1,050, 1.5, oh boy, 1,566 million. I think that's 1.56 billion, but what do I know? Solar generators produce 3.22 terawatt at an average cost of 48 cents per kilowatt hour. The total cost of solar above the standard rate was 1,493 million. Due to the intermittent and unreliable nature of wind and solar generation, the province's utilities have, have had to back up, uh, have had to build backup natural gas plants. The 62% of gas plant capacity now committed as renewables renewables backups cost $734 million. So in other words, they had to build $734 million worth of backup generation capacity in case the wind and solar couldn't meet the demand. Oh, boy. The Distribution Utility Conservation Program cost $300 million. The OESP subsidy program is in its first year of operation. A good estimate is an annual cost of $200 million. The grand total of the above cost is $4,293 million, or a weighted average of 30.2 cents per kilowatt due to the revenues going to wind, solar conservation, and to the Ontario Energy Services Provider, I think is what OSB stands for. I am probably wrong. However, as the above illustrates... Oh, I skipped a, a section here. There we are. Okay. The other costs of global adjustment are for regulated and contracted generation from hydro, nuclear, and natural gas generation sources. In 2016, these provided 140.1 terawatts for 8,040 million or 5.744 cents per kilowatt hour. Gee, which one's cheaper? I wonder. As the above illustrates, the cost of electricity generation from regulated and contracted supply is much higher than the free market rate, and the cost of electricity supply from green sources is five times as high as the cost of more conventional energy con uh, generation. These costs are further inflated because of the overcapacity. 
<clears throat> Ontario, however, continues to add more and more wind and solar generation. Parker Gallant, the man who put all of that and those numbers together, will be speaking at the Alfred Taylor Community Centre at 2300 Community Way in North Gore at 7 p.m. on Thursday, February 23rd. He is worth going to hear. Let me give you that address again. The, this, the gentleman who just broke all that down for you is named Parker Gallant, and he will be at the Alfred Taylor Community Centre at 2300 Community Way in North Gore at 7 p.m. on Thursday, February the 23rd. That, I believe that's tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. Uh, so if, you, if you're interested in this at all, if you want at least some kind of understanding of what that number means and how it impacts you, then going to hear Mr. Parker Gallant in North Gore tomorrow night at 7 p.m. at 2300 Community Way is probably a good investment of your time. Man, man, I'm telling you, is it any wonder? I had a, I sometimes get into a, a letter to the editor debate with a, um, a gentleman in, in uh, my neck of the woods. He's affectionately known as Beaver. Um, his name is Robbie, and we cross swords in the paper once in a while. And he keeps insisting that the cost, the reason why electricity is so high is because of uh, a refurbishment of the nuclear power plants. And that's why everything's so high. And I keep telling him he's crazy. This has a lot more to do with it than... And I'm not saying that the idea behind uh, refurbishing our nuclear power plants is uh, cheap, but it's not something we can do without. Can you imagine what would happen if we took our um, nuclear plants offline? How many coal-fired, gas-fired, and other fired plants we'd have to build in order to make up for their production? But this is the kind of stuff that doesn't get through to people like that. So I thought I'd share that with you because this guy really knows his stuff. And when it comes from Bob, I certainly take it seriously because he's done, uh, he's done his own work in different areas that's just as solid as this is. So, Oh, by the way, here's what OESP means. Ontario Electricity Support Program. Not uh, what I had said because I, I didn't think that was right. So I want to be accurate. So OESP means Ontario Electricity Supply Support program, not supply program. But the numbers we're talking about here, that's just staggering. Now, in Queen's Park, they had, I was listening to Question Period on the radio today, and the absolute utter, well, first of all, it sounds like a schoolyard. There is no respect for decorum. There is no, I mean, it's, it's, you go in, if you were to sit in the gallery, you'd think you're listening to the three-year-olds. The shouting, the catcalling, the heckling, the the talking over one another, the sergeant-at-arms or the, the speaker has to s settle them down every 30 seconds or so. You know, when I was a kid, I was taught that when you're speaking, the one thing you don't want to do is have the, the beginning of your sentence interrupt the middle of the other guys. It's just, it's not nice. It's rude. And these are supposed to be some of the finest minds in Ontario, acting like little children. Okay, so it's chaotic to begin with. And then they were asking the, the um, premier, I mean, Patrick Brown got up and all his thunder and he's banging away and blah, blah, blah. And he was all upset about um, uh, shutting off the power in the wintertime. He didn't want, he wanted the government to pass that law. Say, okay, because they have this omnibus bill, which stands for great big honking bill that changes all kinds of stuff that nobody's got time to go through. And every party's guilty of using omnibus bills. 
It's not unique to the Liberals. They do a good job of it, but it's not unique to them. The Tories did it too, on both the federal and the, conservative and the provincial level. So it's not that it's uh, uniquely liberal, liberal. But in there is this idea that the government wants to remove the right of power companies to shut your power off in the, in the middle of the winter. Now, okay, in the short term, that I don't have a problem with because we live in Canada. You have to have the ability, you have to have electricity if you're going to survive in the wintertime in Canada. And the summertime is pretty handy to have too, by the way. So you have this tumult going on. The government doesn't want to strip it out of the omnibus bill and just pass it on its own because that robs the government's ability to come riding over the hill at the last minute like the cavalry to save the day and, and force those evil um, companies like Hydro One, which is owned and operated by the government, by the way, uh, you know, from shutting off people's uh, um, electricity in the middle of the winter. They want to be the ones to be the saviors there. They wouldn't want the the uh, opposition to ever claim credit for that. In the meantime, people freeze. In the meantime, you know, they want to go through the more laborious process of actually going through the omnibus bill and passing it en masse as a, as a great big block of paper. And in there is this redeeming thing uh, that the government can then lay credit for. Because if they don't do that, then the NDP and, and the Tories can say, yeah, we forced the government to change. And they don't want that. They'd rather let people freeze in the dark. Okay, but what they don't understand in the middle of all that, what they don't get is that it doesn't matter that the problem isn't that you shouldn't shut their hydro off in the wintertime. The problem is hydro's unaffordable. That's the problem. That's why half a million people in this province are behind on their power bills. It's because these clowns have made it so expensive that people have to choose between that now old, worn-out, corny saying, heat or eat. And they're wondering why. People get frustrated with government, and that's why trust in the government is at, the all, at an all-time low, and the trust of the mainstream media is right next to it. All right, we'll take a little break, and we'll come back with more right after this. We often hear about the supposed dangers of human-induced climate change. But what about the disastrous consequences of climate policy? For example, the closing of Ontario's coal stations was the single most important cause of the 318% rise in power rates since 2002. Thousands of industrial wind turbines are being erected across the province, killing birds and bats and ruining the lives of people living nearby. The expanded use of biofuels has led to 6.5% of the world's grain going to fuel instead of food. Only 6% of the $1 billion spent every day on climate finance 
goes to helping people today. The rest is dedicated to trying to stop climate change that may someday happen. Yet the reports of the non-governmental International Panel on Climate Change show that the science backing the climate scare is highly uncertain. Isn't it time we focused on problems we know to be real? This message is brought to you by ClimateScienceInternational.org. Thanks for staying with us, folks. The numbers again are 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. That's 343-700-4390, and the long-distance line is 844-562-4766. Now, um, one of the things that I've been keeping an eye on in the last little while is how quickly Hollywood is becoming irrelevant. Did you know that according to a poll, I'm just see if I can find, uh, yeah, well, it's called an Oscar poll, because uh, tonight apparently is the Oscars. Do you care about the Oscars? To me, it's always seemed like, uh, uh, well, imagine a bunch of talk show hosts getting together and congratulating each other on what, how great they are. Kind of self-serving, right? It just First of all, can you imagine what a talk show convention would sound like? Oh, my God, you never get a word in edgewise. <laughs> oh, boy, can you imagine Lowell Green, Sean Hannity, Rush Limbaugh, and me in the same room? They wouldn't stand a chance. <laughs> yeah, right. Anyway, um, so this poll out says 60% of Americans can't name one Best Picture nominee. Not one. Box office ticket numbers are down dramatically across the country. And... Their revenues to, to, to big uh, studios are in, in, in serious decline. And I think there's not just one factor in work at work here. There's several. One thing is the rise of Netflix and these Netflix original um, uh, series. There's things that are being made. There's some excellent TV out there. My wife and I have been watching Homeland. And if you're not familiar with it, it's a, um, a CAA kind of thriller about terrorism and all that kind of stuff. It is brilliantly written. It really is very, very good. Um, it's it's not just simple cardboard cutout characters, America good, you know, bad guys bad, that kind of thing. It, there's a lot of depth to the characters and so on. It's really, really uh, done very well. So there's a lot of new stuff coming onto the marketplace outside of the norm. It's not just the big Hollywood studios like Universal, MGM, you know, and all these different, um, uh, Columbia and all those different uh, Used to be uh, 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 mega monsters in the India in the media industry, in the movie industry. Uh, they're really taking a beating, and I'm not so sure that's a bad thing. But I think that while all of that is true, there's another reason. I think people are getting a little bit sick and tired of people like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio uh, running around, 
promoting this nonsense, like going up to Alberta and say, I felt global warming in the middle of a Chinook. You know, you've got guys like uh, Bruce Springsteen out there. He's not an actor, of course, he's a musician. But in general, um, people of that ilk, of that style, Meryl Streep is a, is a classic example, you know, railing against Donald Trump. And yet 61 million people voted for the guy. So what they're doing is they're demonstrating how really out of touch they are, how completely off the ground their feet are. They live in this, in this uh, you know, if you want to point to uh, times in the past when royalty have uh, collapsed, uh, or how do I put this? Take the French Revolution as an example, where the aristocracy had the let-them-eat-cake mentality. Now, they could have fixed the problem. You know, be more uh, aware of what's going on around you and, the, 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 and be more in touch with the people who, you know, aren't living your lifestyle the way they are living and see if you can do something to help them. You don't have to beggar yourself in the process, but a little bit of concern and compassion would go a long way instead of the let-them-eat-cake attitude they had. And if you look at that today, you know, on one hand, you get people talking about this wage gap, right, between the ultra-rich and the, and the poor. Is there a place on the planet where it's greater than on a Hollywood set? Do you think the key grip makes as much money as Leonardo DiCaprio does when they're shooting a movie? No, he makes 100 bucks a day or whatever it is he makes. Do you think the dancers that go with Madonna make the kind of money Madonna makes? Say what you will about her talent or lack of it. But they are absolutely the worst when it comes to wage disparity. They, in other words... They live a hypocritical lifestyle, and people are beginning. Have, they've, be, they've seen through it for a long time, but now they're fed up with it, and they're just turning their backs on what these people, you know, are presenting us. Now, certain movies seem to resonate better than others. It's it's like if you look at the successful movies um, over the last while, the one the really big blockbusters usually have an element of uh, the good guys, the underdog. And the bad guy's a real bad guy, and at the end has to get his comeuppance. That's part of human nature. That's part of, you know, we want to see the right, we want to see the right thing done, right? We want to see the good guy win, even if he has to climb mountains on, of broken glass to get it done. Okay, look at Lord of the Rings. Has there ever been an underdog story like that? This tiny little hobbit called Frodo carrying this icon of evil around his neck through Mordor to throw it into the mount into the pit of Mount Doom and destroy it while the whole, you know, world's arrayed against him and there's this small band of people trying to help him get it done. The ultimate underdog story. And it was a hugely successful movie. It was also a pretty good set of books too. But there's something about people human human nature that thrives on that and Hollywood for too long has put out movies that are basically junk. Basically junk. Look at the I'm not suggesting you've watched it, but you've certainly heard of it, Fifty Shades of Grey. Well, apparently there's another one out now called Fifty Shades Darker or something like that, and it stinks. It bombed at the box office, so they thought it was such a dumb idea to do it the first time, they went and did it again. And it'll bomb at the box office again. Why? Because people don't want, you know, are sick and tired of not only that message, but they're tired of the people delivering it, and they're turning their backs on it. And you're seeing other people step into the void and making stuff that people do want to see. Where the hero isn't always so hard to identify. Call it simplistic if you want. 
But you know, one of the things, when I sit down at a movie, there's times I don't want to have to rack my brains to follow the plot. I don't mind a simple movie that is just about the bad guy losing and taking a beating in the process. One of Arnold Schwarzenegger's last movies, and I can't remember the name of it, but he's a sheriff. He's a former uh, uh, anti-narcotics or narcotics officer out of Los Angeles, and he's retired to this little town out in Nevada or western, southwestern California. Um, no, it's on the border of Mexico. It might be you know, southern California. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He's in one of these border states right down near the border. His town's on the border. Somerville? Is that what it's called? Anyway, the point is that he retires that town, and he is the, um, uh, the, the, the sheriff. And the bad guy is this nasty, evil dude who's a, a drug, drug lord, kingpin kind of guy, and he's fleeing the authorities, trying to get back to Mexico where he can't be touched. And in the end, the final confrontation is a good old whoop em up right there on the border. And, of course, I don't mean to spoil it for you. You watch the movie. You'll see what I'm talking about. But the plot wasn't overly complicated. It was, you know, it's not, it's not Band of Brothers or anything, but it was a, I thought it was an entertaining movie. You walked out of it feeling good, and that's the kind of thing that people want to see. And Hollywood, for the most part, has lost touch with that. They want to build into this. They want to build in all these eco-messages. They want to build in all these, you know, subtle little digs at, at those who are conservative. And yet the movies that do the best, the box office, are those who don't do that, that actually speak to the real values that you and I hold and are, um, you know, those are the ones that the public rewards and turn into massive successes. So I just thought I'd toss that out there as well because I get tired of, uh, uh, of these, these social elites out of Hollywood telling us one, on one hand what to do um, and how to live while they jet around the world in their private jets and race up and down Hollywood Boulevard in their Ferraris. You know, I got nothing against owning any of those things. I think we, shall, we all should. But don't tell me I can't have one while you're driving it because I'm a bad person because I drive a three-quarter ton pickup truck and I'm contributing to global warming. Because guess who's got a bigger carbon footprint? In other words, they're called people are tired of hypocrisy. Now, just thought I'd throw that into the mix. Um, Mr. Trudeau, remember a little while ago, our boy king, the prime minister, decided he was going to show uh, some, I don't know what he was doing, but he was in uh, western Quebec, and an Anglophone got up and asked him a question. And he said in French, well, since we're in Quebec, allow me to answer in French, even though the question was put to him in English. Remember that furor? Well, according to this, uh, you know, I know it's been out, it's been out in the news today or yesterday. He's decided to apologize. Oh, he's so sorry. Listen, at a town hall in Sherbrooke, Quebec, a woman asked if the government cup could help Anglophones in Quebec find better mental health services. This is an issue for many, as most mental health services in Quebec are only available in French. Trudeau refused to answer in English, despite the woman asking in English. He chose to answer in French. The end result, an investigation by the official languages commissioner, public condemnation, and now Trudeau's public apology. <sighs> so he's come out and he, oh, I'm so sorry. 
I, I, I'm so sorry. Uh, I, I'm just, you know, I'm just a little boy. I'm sorry. It's just, you know, I ha when when people, I have people in my life who sometimes say, "I'm sorry." I said, "Okay, fine. You're sorry. Just don't do it again." And then they'll go out and do it again. So the next time they apologize, do I really believe it? If you're sorry, why does it take you two weeks to realize you were an idiot? I mean, now there have times when I should have apologized a lot faster than I did, but it didn't take two weeks. I apologize to my wife all the time because I like sleeping indoors. And especially when she's right and I know it. But I just get mad, stomp out of the house and come back 20 minutes later. And, you know, that was really stupid. I'm sorry. And she'll say, yep, here's your pillow, here's your blanket. <laughs> anyway, but it's just, hey, you know, leadership is about not, it's not that you always get everything right. It's knowing when you've made a mistake that apologizing isn't a bad thing. I once got a piece of advice from somebody who I highly, deeply respect in the broadcast industry. And they said to me, no matter what you do, never, ever, ever, ever admit you're wrong on the air. And my jaw at the table. I was having lunch with him. It's just, bonk. What? And the reason that's dumb advice, everything else that that person told me was bang on. And I tried to, uh, tried to employ it in what I was doing on radio. But that just came across. I, I couldn't believe I was hearing it. Because there's never a time when everybody is, you know, I'm not always right. Neither was that individual. And to insist you are, even though every fact in the world is pointing at the fact you're wrong, you cannot. Because you look like an idiot when you do that. We all make mistakes sooner or later. And when we do, the gracious thing to do is as soon as you realize it, to apologize. And say, boy, was that ever stupid. You know, I, I'm really sorry I said that. I'm sorry that, I, you know, that was a mistake on my part. Just admit you're human, you know. It's a great way to steal your opponent's thunder, first of all. Like when I was driving a truck and I was driving out of Leamington for a company called Clark & Snively, my dispatcher was a guy called Randy. And I would go in, let's, and it didn't happen very often. I took pride in being on time. When I need to be somewhere, I took pride in being there. But sometimes things got in the way, you know. Issues came up. And I can remember walking in one time, and I had been, I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes late. And it caused some problems. So I walked in, and he's raging like a volcano. You were late. You caused that. And the guy called, and he was angry. And I, just... I looked at him. I said, yeah, Randy, you're right. It was my fault. I'm the captain of my ship, and if it doesn't dock on time, then it's my fault. No, no excuses. Well, yeah, yeah, and and uh, he was pretty angry. And I said, I bet he was. But, but uh, uh, I stole all his thunder. Because now what's he going to say? I just agreed with him. So all he did was hand me the paperwork for my next load and tell me to get out of there. So I took my paperwork, I got out, hooked up my trailer, did my circle check, and left. Because you, one of the best ways to disarm an opponent when you've done something stupid is to admit it. There's nothing wrong with admitting you're wrong. And Trudeau, how long was it 
So here's what happened when talking about Mr. Trudeau. Either he had no idea he was wrong and had to have it beat into his head that he'd made a, you know, he made a fool of himself because he just can't believe that's possible. Or he's not that bright and it took him a while to realize it. And I don't care which one you pick, neither one's acceptable. It really bothers me when you hear this kind of stuff. So, I tell you, <laughs> oh, man, you might as well laugh as cry. If it's not somebody telling you you shouldn't drive cars anymore, uh, it's people not recognizing the most simple basic fact. When If you can speak the language being spoken to you, it is a manner of courtesy to respond in that language. And if you can't, say so. Now, we both know, we all know that Trudeau's bilingual, fluently bilingual. So there was no reason for him to answer that, young, that woman in French, other than arrogance. We all know what he thinks of English Canada. So, yeah, that was another golden day for the golden boy. All right, let's take a little break. We'll come back with more right after this. Timo's 2000 Mobile Auto Cleaning comes right to your driveway and makes your vehicle look brand new again. Classic cars, bikes, boats, RVs, dump trucks, hot rods, tractors, transport trucks. We can even make your minivan look like the day you drove it off the lot. Did you spill too much coffee on your seat? Did Junior decide he couldn't wait till he got home? And yuck, maybe you're just long overdue for that meticulous cleaning. Maybe you want to sell the old beast. Smartest thing you can do is make it look brand new again. Timo's 2000, 613-327-8498, 613-327-8498, or go to timos2000.com. ask you a question. We were talking about anti the rise of anti-Semitism across the Western world a little while ago, and I just happened to stumble across this during the break. Hundreds joined uh, Vice President Pence and GOP Governor Greetens to clean up desecrated St. Louis Jewish Cemetery. Hundreds of supporters joined John Pence to clean up the 
to, to clean up the cemetery. And there's a bunch of images that go with this. Tombstones are knocked over, and there's graffiti sprayed all over the place. Most of it is pretty disgusting stuff. And there's the vice president in the middle of it all, and he's helping. Now, look, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it could be all for show. There's, there's always that. I, um, but the sense of it is, the sense I have it, maybe, and I will certainly admit I could be wrong, but Mr. Pence is just demonstrating the fact that he's against anti-Semitism. And that in a, to demonstrate that, he's willing to roll up his own sleeves and get his hands dirty, cleaning the mess up and showing people that he's not beyond doing a little, you know, good old-fashioned hard work in order to set something right. Now, this is in contrast. I, I, know, I don't know if you remember this. This goes back pro at least, oh, 15, 20 years. When Bill Clinton was president, and it was the 50th anniversary of D-Day. Oh, my God, am I aging myself? Um, he went to Normandy, and he was walking along. The camera crews were there. Now, this is a staged situation. That's why I'm allowing that this might be. I don't think it is, but it might be. Because politicians are what politicians are. However, he's walking along the beach, Bill Clinton is, and he has this very pensive look on his face. And he's walking along in the sand. He happens to look down, and there's a little tiny pile, about four or five stones. And he stops, and he bends down, and he arranges them in a cross. And oh, the press goes bananas. There was only one problem. I mean, they thought it was the greatest thing they'd ever seen. The beach was nothing but five sands fine sand. As a matter of fact, if you know your history, you'll know that because of Dieppe, where there were rocks all over the place and busted the tank treads of the, ta of the Canadian tanks when they went ashore at Dieppe in, 19 in August of 1943, that the Allies sent, uh, sent divers over to take samples of the sand on the beach so they'd know what they were running into when they got there. And it was pure sand. There wasn't a rock to be found. So where did those four or five rocks come from? The answer was they were planted there for him to find on purpose. That's called staging an event for visual effect. I don't think that's the case here. You can look it up yourself if you'd like, just uh, VP Pence um, and uh, Governor Kretchen's clean up desecrated uh, Jewish cemetery, and you'll find it. And you can judge for yourself because there's hundreds of people in the, in the picture that you can see where the graves have been tipped over and tombstones knocked over and that kind of thing. And there's a video that goes with it that I, I, I won't play for you right now because it's not really Mr. Pence talking. Um, but just, there, there's a different, I guess there's a difference in, in the quality of character. And I find it refreshing. I don't know about you, but do you think, do you think that if a Jewish cemetery was, and, and there's no way to know this, and maybe he would, but what do you think the chances are that our boy king would go to a Jewish cemetery or a synagogue that had been desecrated or vandalized with uh, swastikas or anti-Jewish slogans and things like that and put paint on roller and cleaned it up and help clean it up. Because I think that's, that's one way to show support for the targeted group. You don't need to have press conferences. You don't need to have you know, people bouncing off the ceiling. You simply need to show a little bit of compassion. 
You simply need to say, okay, we got to fix this and go and do something about it. You don't have to spend hours doing it. You, don't, you know, you don't have to spend weeks doing it. But spend a day working with everyday average people, listening to their complaints and concerns while you clean up this, this thing. Make yourself available. Just, just a thought. Just a thought. I just, maybe I'm completely soaking wet. So one of the things I, was, I, I did want to ask you is when, you're, when you uh, are looking at things like, how do you feel? Let me put it to you this way. If you had to write a, uh, let's see, I don't want to call it an epilogue, but let's say a chapter summary of the first two months of, of 2017, what would it look like? Are you optimistic or are you pessimistic? Because there's a case to be made on both sides of the coin. Now, when I do that, when I th- stop and think about it, yeah, there's a lot of junk going on. You have, uh, you know, and, and by the way, Trump was right about Sweden. He might not have been exactly right about um, uh, exactly what happened, but Sweden is definitely in a ton of tr- trouble, and it's because of their immigration policies. So he might not have been right on verse, but he certainly was right on chapter. So, and of course, the press crucified him for that too. But if you're writing the pro, if you're if you're going to write this this report on the first two months of 2017, if it was me doing it, I would be more positive than negative, and here's why. Because while the world is full of dark and evil corners, horrible people, dangerous places, you know, if, if you were the pessimistic kind of you, it would be easy to fall into that trap. But there is also an undercurrent of people who have had enough and are beginning to take their feet. Did you know in Poland... Um, last week, nearly the whole country protested. And they were protesting the erosion of their, of their uh, culture, and they didn't want any immigration uh, because they saw what was happening in the rest of Europe, and they protested en masse. And I don't mean just a few thousand. I mean hundreds of thousands across the country. Poland is a very Catholic country. It has saved Europe before. It was, it was the bastion against the Ottoman Turks, and they turned the tide and kept all of Europe from becoming, uh, becoming Islamic instead of just uh, uh, Spain, I think, was the country that was overrun by the Ottoman Turks for a while, and then eventually Spain booted them out. Um, anyway, the point is that uh, Poland has a very... Um, very rich history uh, in that sense, that they have been a bulwark against a lot of threats, and they see themselves as doing it again. They've just said, we will not play that game. We will not accept a watering down of our culture. We are Poles first. And they protested en masse. Literally hundreds of thousands of people. The video, the video footage that I've seen, there's, there's uh, and I don't know what city it was in, but this city was... 25 blocks long is shot, and it was like a, a major boulevard, you know, uh, probably 60, 70 yards wide, shoulder to shoulder, sock full of people, white and red Polish flags everywhere. You couldn't move. There were that many people. Imagine Wellington Street on Canada Day, but for a mile and a half or two miles. And that was just in one city. It was like that across the whole country. So I see that. 
I see what Hungary's doing. I see what's going on in, in uh, Europe with, uh, with France. Le Pen now taking the lead there. I see what's happening in, in, in Holland where the Dutch have had enough and Gert Wilders could very well form the next government and put an end to the kind of crazy immigration laws that they have and step out of the European Union. You see it with, uh, you saw it with Brexit. Uh, you saw it with Trump where this rise of populism and populism is nothing more than nationalism. Uh, being proud of your country, wanting your country to look after itself first. That's not a bad thing. I'll never forget the day I heard Trudeau say we, were a trans he, we are now a transnational country, whatever the heck that means. What it meant to me was he doesn't respect our borders anymore, and he wants a one-world government, and he wants the U.N. to run it. And that's what Trudeau is all about. Now, being in office may have tempered that a little bit, but for the most part, it's, it, it, all of this is kind of weaved together. But when you look out and you see this rise of nationalism amongst countries, amongst democratic countries, people have simply hit their limit. They don't like or want any more to do with this kind of nonsense. And to tell you the truth, I can't say I blame them at all. All right, we're going to take another little break. When we get back, we'll have more right after this. So Nick is reloading and taking a much-needed break. Not that he needs one, but maybe it's a good thing. So if you want to fire him off an email, just uh, send it to nick at latenightcouncil.com. That's simple, huh? Nick at latenightcouncil.com. Or better yet, call now. Hey, I know he could talk forever, but you know what? If you're doing talk radio, you love the calls. 343 700 that's 343-700-4390 for the Capital Region. And if you can't get through on that line or you live far, far, far away, like we're talking about Alaska, 1-844-562-4766. That's 1-844-562-4766. Now, our call service is automated. You won't be talking to a live person until you're live on air. Don't sweat it. Just follow the prompts and while you're on hold, and, and, and you'll be fine.
Now, Nick at Night does not exist without advertisers. So if you want to buy time, you contact either myself, JC at LateNightCouncil.com, or you can contact Nick if you're more comfortable with him, and of course I certainly understand that. You can contact Nick at LateNightCouncil.com. The ads are like really, really cheap. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna love them. Okay, you're, you're, we've we've made them quite accessible. Feedback is always welcome. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And thanks for tuning in. Now back to Nick at Night. All right, folks. I have a clip here by by our good friend Ezra Levant from The Rebel. Now, it's longer than I would normally play. It's about nine minutes. I hope you'll bear with me through it because I think he's got a lot of really worthwhile things to say in this. And it's important, if you, especially if you're going to understand um, this Motion 103 and its origins and all that sort of thing. So here is Ezra, and let's hope this comes through. Okay, let me give this a try. What's behind the latest mania to censor critics of Islam? Well, Ikra Khalid is part of it, but she's just the front man. She's a Pakistan-born Muslim MP for the Liberals who is a Muslim political activist on campus. She still celebrates Pakistani values with Pakistani diplomats. I, I wish she'd celebrate more Canadian values like freedom of speech and the separation of mosque and state. Uh, Khalid is the MP who introduced M103, that's the motion condemning Islamophobia, and calling on the government to prepare a report to eliminate it using the full power of the state. The phrase she uses is a whole-of-government approach, which I think means everything from the CBC to the RCMP to the Canada Revenue Agency to our foreign policy. Yeah, that sounds more like a Pakistani approach to censorship than a Canadian approach to freedom. Don't take it from me. Here, listen to a couple of Pakistani Canadians who came to our recent anti-M103 rally. I'm from Pakistan and I'm a Christian and uh, my family came here looking for a better life for themselves. We immigrated to this country and we were so blessed to be in a place where our freedoms were, were well, we had freedoms. Where we come from, we definitely did not. Um, and we also have Sharia law over there, including the blasphemy law, which is just an obscene draconian law um, that has just destroyed the lives of so many minorities and so many Muslims. And so. This, to us, is kind of the opening towards that law. We need a freedom of speech. Even in Muslim countries, some countries, they don't like blasphemy law. Why the, uh, Trudeau is bringing here? Yeah, why is it that all of Trudeau's Muslim MPs seem to be of the authoritarian Sharia variety instead of the freedom-loving secular variety? Well, that's the thing. Omar al-Jabra, who ran Trudeau's Muslim campaign for him, is a radical himself. Al-Jabra used to run the anti-Semitic Canadian Arab Federation that literally called for the legalization of Muslim terrorist groups like Hamas and Hezbollah. And Trudeau put him in charge of his Muslim outreach campaign. That's why Trudeau never says anything moderate when he goes into mosques, because he wants the radical vote. He even boasts about going to the Saudi-funded extremist Wahhabi mosque in Montreal, which was named by the Pentagon as a place where Al-Qaeda recruited terrorists. Here, listen to Trudeau brag about that mosque by name. 
They spend a lot of time running from the uh, Bangladeshi to the Pakistani to the uh, Maghrebia <laughs> to the, uh, the uh, Sunnah Wahhabi Mosque. I cover, I cover all, all the different communities. So you've got Muslim radicals like Ikhra Khalid and Omar al-Jabra. And you've got Trudeau's Muslim vote strategy. But I think there's something much more specific behind this. Let me draw your attention to a press release issued by Trudeau last September at the United Nations. Headline, Canada, UNHCR, and the Open Society Foundations seek to increase refugee resettlement through private sponsorship. Now, there's a lot in there that I'm not going to get into now. UNHCR stands for High Commission on Refugees. But, but I want to tell you what the Open Society Foundations are. That's George Soros' political wing. George Soros, the billionaire leftist extremist who funds everything from Black Lives Matter to outright street revolutions overseas. They boast on their own website that they've spent 13 billion dollars on their politics and that's just through this one arm that doesn't include other tentacles like political donations so let's look at this press release again a government of canada press release about muslim migrants i'm going to focus on just one of the three main points quote the new joint initiative has three primary objectives provide a vehicle that mobilizes citizens in direct support of refugees and encourages a broader political debate that is supportive of refugee protection. And finally, this project will complement other initiatives under development elsewhere in the world, also aimed at mobilizing citizens and creating complementary pathways for admission of refugees, unquote. So Justin Trudeau and the government of Canada have officially teamed up with George Soros, not only to bring Muslim migrants to the West, but to engage in a massive propaganda exercise and political exercise. Both Soros money and Canadian taxpayers' money will be used, not just for the Muslim migrants themselves, but for political organizing, mobilizing citizens in support of Muslim migration. George Soros is directing Canada's pro-Islam propaganda, pro-Islam politics. Do you doubt he's part of the new campaign to, quote, eliminate Islamophobia, to use the language of M103. And just before Christmas, the government of Canada had a big conference to start implementing this Soros-UN Trudeau agreement. A three-day meeting in Ottawa with 90 political activists. Let me read the last sentence of the official government of Canada press release. They also committed to working together to make sure that the global narrative on refugees is a positive one. Oh, so... so this wasn't actually just about helping refugees. It's about managing the global narrative to make sure people only say positive things about Muslim migration. And the government of Canada is, is part of this. Look at the bottom of that press release. Gregory A. Maniatis, a senior Soros officer. Now, I've thumbed through Maniatis's Twitter feed. It's a shocking collection of anti-Trump derangement syndrome I'd call he's deranged and that's no surprise that's fine everyone can have their opinions about Donald Trump but why is a New Yorker a Soros staffer a left-wing extremist from a foreign country running Canadian immigration policy Trudeau and Soros have been friends for a while we don't know how long but this loving photo was taken shortly after Trudeau was elected when he went to Davos 
Soros collects politicians like Trudeau, not just in Canada and the U.S., but Europe, too, where he agitates against conservatives and hires lawyers and political organizers and spin doctors to push for mass Muslim migration. That's not speculation or conspiracy theory. It is contained in this Open Society's document, which was leaked by DC Leaks, similar to WikiLeaks. It shows that Soros spent, through Open Societies alone, more than $8 million in the past couple of years through 33 different front groups to help battering ram the way through Europe for 2 million Muslim migrants. But really, why pay $8 million bucks to 33 front groups when Justin Trudeau will do it for you for free. Well, maybe not for free. Justin Trudeau actually doesn't do a lot for free, whether it's speaking at charity events where he charges 20 grand or hiring his two nannies on the taxpayer's dime. He always makes sure there's a cut for himself, doesn't he? Uh, just like how he kept taking cash for his Trudeau Foundation from foreign donors after he became liberal leader and even after he became prime minister. We only accidentally found out that Trudeau was taking free luxury vacations for him and his family and friends from the billionaire Aga Khan flying on that private helicopter, vacationing on his private billionaire's island in the Bahamas, taking his friends and fundraisers with him. I wonder if Justin Trudeau has ever flown on Soros' private jets or vacationed at Soros' private getaways. I wonder if Soros has funded any of Trudeau's favorite NGOs, like Canada 2020 or the Trudeau Foundation. We know that Soros funds Black Lives Matter, which now has street gangs in Toronto shouting at police, bringing racism and discord to our streets, as Soros is expert at doing. I wonder what else George Soros is funding in Canada, and I wonder if we'll ever find out. Right after Donald Trump was elected, George Soros announced he was giving $10 million to fight against what he calls incendiary rhetoric. Incendiary rhetoric. Gee, that sounds a lot like motion M103, doesn't it? But really, we don't have to wonder. We don't have to speculate about this, do we? Because the government of Canada is putting out public press releases about it. Justin Trudeau will obediently, that's not the right word, he will happily obey George Soros's wishes, and he will put the power of the Canadian government towards stamping out political commentary that Soros doesn't like. There's no need for a conspiracy theory, my friends. It's a conspiracy fact. Okay, so there you have it. <clears throat> uh, Ezra does his usual thorough job of laying things out for you. And you know something, when I was listening to him talk, this is this kind of journalism that the CBC should do. This is what CTV and Global and, and all these others should do. But because of their tilt, because of their, their um, the way they view the world, they like this stuff. They don't want you to find out about it. They don't want you to see it as bad. Because this is the kind of thing that they believe in. And by they, I'm talking about the mainstream media in general. Now, there was a press release, uh, uh, a poll, a little while ago, about how people don't trust government, people don't trust the media. Well, is it any wonder why? You know, there's when people say, when, when people say, okay, when they raise concerns about, in this case, Islamic immigration, or, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And they look around the world and say, you know, maybe we should slow this down and think about it. Because if you think about Trump's travel ban, 
okay, people are not – there's obviously a lot of people out there who don't want you to pay attention to the fact it's only 120 days. It's not permanent. It's not something that's going to keep people apart forever, okay? It's 120 days, and it's from countries that Obama picked. It's from countries that they ha- are problematic, and even Obama thought so. So there's nothing new here except the fact that they won't, that nobody has ever mentioned, and I've listened to CBC, CTV, Global, MSNBC, ABC, you name it. Trying to, you know, figure out this whole ban thing. And nowhere does anybody say this is a temporary ban. It's only 120 days. Now, Trump's going to re-release it next week. And it'll look a lot like the, one, the, the way it looks now. As far as I'm concerned, keep doing it. If they keep throwing it back at you because of the, the courts, you know, are interventionists instead of just applying the law and want to make a, some kind of social statement, then just write it out again and send it back and keep it up until they get the message that you're not going to stop until, you know, this happens. Because it's not permanent. But this is also adding fuel to the fire of people saying, we don't want any more of these social elites telling us how to live our lives, who we should let in to our country, how long they should stay, what they we should do for them. There was a meme, a memes or a meme, I can never figure out how to say it, on Facebook the other day. And it said, sneaking into a country illegally uh, no more makes you a citizen than uh, breaking into a house does make you a member of the family. I thought, yeah, exactly. That's exactly right what it is. If, if we don't, and uh, I was listening to some commentators earlier today talk about um, the refugee trickle over our border right now. It's cold. Emerson, Manitoba is becoming infamous for this, where people are coming across from the United States because they're afraid of being deported by, by Trump. You know, um, if they were here legally, they'd have nothing to be afraid of, but don't bother going there. That we, we don't want to clutter the issue with facts, right? But if they were... I have lost my train of thought. I hate when that happens. Immigration trickling over the... Oh, yeah, the weather is the only thing holding them back right now. What happens in May and June when all of a sudden it's 75 degrees outside and Trump starts to really start getting into the deportation thing? There's millions of illegal immigrants in the United States. And if even 1% of them decide to head north, we got a real problem on our hands. Now, they should be met at the border by border control agents turned around and sent back from whence they came. They should not be allowed to cross illegally at unmarked crossings in this country. I understand the problem. We have the longest undefended border in the world. I get that. But we can't just let them waltz across the border. We can't have sanctuary cities. We cannot have a complete breakdown of the rule of law. And with that, we'll take a break and come back with more.
For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches. But fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile. Okay, folks, final segment coming right up. Um, one of the things that I noticed in the last session of, uh, of uh, the House Commons they didn't talk about were all the investigations going on that were going to be having uh, come due, shall we say, between now and the next election. There's uh, one, um, what was it? Was it the gas plants? There's two of them anyway that, are, that the, uh, will be going to trial. Uh, during the ele- during that picture, they're going to overlap over the over the um, um, period of the election, the provincial election coming up in about sixteen or seventeen months. Now you realize <coughs> that there is a very real chance, and this is why I have railed so hard against people like Patrick Brown. Look, I don't want Kathleen Wynne to become the premier again, because we all know what that means. There's going to be no solution to, to the energy crisis. There is going to be no real positive change. We'll go deeper into debt. We'll lose more jobs. And she'll just, whatever's left, the only thing left of Ontario is the foundation, and she's busy smashing that. But the problem is that with Patrick Brown as head of the PC Party of Ontario, you're not going to see anything different. So what difference does it make which of the three parties we elect? Now, consider this. If Patrick Brown wins, we have a problem even worse than if Kathleen Wynne were to win. And that is the heavy-handed tactics that Patrick Brown has employed to make sure his hand-picked candidates are placed in ridings against the riding association membership wishes. Golda Gamari comes to mind then he will be able to say, see, my way worked. And you can forget moving forward any socially conservative agenda in this province ever again. So what we'll have is somebody wearing a blue tie who's nothing but a liberal that might be good with the checkbook we don't know. 
That's why it's worse if Patrick Brown wins than if Kathleen Wynne wins. So from a, from a three major parties, we're screwed. We really are. We're screwed. So this, this kind of stuff has... It, this is the kind of stuff that does make me despair a little bit because who wants another four, eight, ten years of this kind of nonsense that we've been living under? It's not going to be any different under Patrick Brown. He supports uh, the carbon tax. He won't touch the sex ed curriculum written by a pedophile. Speaking of pedophiles, you know, it's funny, and I, rightly so. Uh, if you don't know who Milo Yiannopoulos was, he got what was coming to him. Uh, he went on the air and supported uh, pe- pedophilia uh, and was promptly bounced from Breitbart, uh, Breitbart or whatever the heck the name of that website is. Um, he was a very flamboyant, outspoken, um, uh, how do I put it? Sp- I don't want to say spokesman. Well, he, he leaned to the right. He was a, a, a somebody who would, uh, a homosexual who was uh, conservative in a lot of ways and was very flamboyant in his approach, uh, called himself a professional troll, and then completely shredded any, co- any credibility he had when he went on the air and supported pedophilia. So he was crucified for that, and rightly so. I mean, you, you think that's a good idea? I got no time for you. I got, as a matter of fact, if... if if uh, you know, I think pedophiles should be should be uh, um, it should be taken far more seriously than it is, and it should be a heinous crime. Um, but with that said, when we look over to the provincial government, Kathleen Wynne has never, to this day, come out and distance herself from an education curriculum written by a self-confessed pedophile. So if Milo Yiannopoulos deserves to be thrown under the bus. Why doesn't Patrick Brown demand the same thing of this curriculum written by somebody guilty of the very thing Patrick Milo was supporting? That's always been a bone of contention with me. That's always made me furious that nobody wants to go after that and say, Hey, Kathleen, when are you going to scrap that? Because it was written by a sexual predator who preyed on children. How come that's okay? You know, they all think, Oh, it's the water under the bridge. It's old, old stuff. Baloney. So it was just he won't. He has no interest in, in doing that. Um, he has never said he's going to bring down the price of energy. He just said he's going to look. At, he, you know, he's going to do his best to control it. That's not the same thing. So what difference does it make whether he wins or Kathleen wins? We're screwed either way. At least with Andrea Horwath, there's no wondering about it. You know what she wants. You know what she's after. So what? All right. Anyway, you get the point. With that, I do believe it's time for me to bow out of here and say goodnight. I certainly hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. There was a ton of stuff to get off my chest, and I certainly hope you you uh, uh, got something out of it. You can always email me at Nick at Night, Nick at, yeah, Nick at Night at Late Night Council.com. You can send me a, a Facebook message. And uh, in the meantime, we will see you all again next week. Ubi keritas de amor. Ubi keritas et amor. Deus ibi est. Good evening. God bless. Don't let anything disturb your peace. And may you have a fair wind and a following sea. I spent it in good company.
and all the harm I've ever done. Alas, it was to none but me, and all I've done for want of wit to So fill to me the parting glass. Good night and joy be to you all. So fill to me the parting glass and drink a health whatever befalls. Then gently. Softly call, good night and joy be to you all. Of all the comrades that e'er I had, they're sorry for my going away, and all the sweethearts that e'er I had, they'd wish me one more day to stay. Since it fell.